Good evening, brothers and sisters. Let's turn to our Old Testament reading in Genesis chapter 8, verses 20 through 22. Very brief reading here from Genesis chapter 8. Here we are seeing uh, Noah after the flood and the Lord's mercy to him and the Lord's words regarding man's continued ongoing sinfulness. The flood did not fix the problem. Uh, and uh, God, God uh, states that very clearly here in verse, verse 21. Let's hear God's word from Genesis chapter 8, 20 through 22. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. And our New Testament text is Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. Galatians 3, 10 through 14. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it, is, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Amen. Thanks be to God for His Word. Let's pray and ask His blessing, uh, His blessing on it. Our great and gracious God, we pray that the words of my sinful lips and the meditation of all our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. We pray that you would teach us and instruct us in your holy way and build us up in our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen. We are turning our attention here back to the Shorter Catechism. So, some time ago, before Genesis, if you can remember back before Genesis, uh, I was doing a series in the evening services, walking through each question and answer of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And we made it all the way up to the end of the first major section of the Shorter Catechism, which is on the, 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 the main doctrines. What do we believe about God? And then we paused, we stopped, at where it shifts over into what duty does God require of man? 
and, and we stopped before the Ten Commandments. And then last summer, uh, Carson and I taught an adult Sunday school class on the Ten Commandments, walking through the Shorter chasm, Catechisms, teaching on the Ten Commandments. Um, so I, I thought it would be fitting to, to pick back up after the Ten Commandments section in the evening services again, and, and just finish out the Catechism's questions uh, for the rest of the, uh, for, for the foreseeable future, and then after that we'll... We'll head to another uh, book of the Bible to work through together. Um, So we're going to be picking up here in question 82 through 84 tonight. Uh, Going forward, we're going to be looking at uh, the means of grace, the word, prayer, the sacraments, and uh, and those things and their place in the Christian life. Uh, Tonight we look at um, why salvation by grace through faith is so important. Next week we'll really get into the question, what is faith? Tonight we're looking at the, the prelude to those questions. And that's questions 82 through 84. Let me go ahead and read these now and just get them before us. I'll read them with the answer. So uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism 82. Is any man perfectly able to keep the commandments of God? Answer, no mere man since the fall is able in this life perfectly to keep the commandments of God, but does daily break them in thought, word, and deed. Question 83. Are all transgressions of the law equally heinous? Answer. Some sins in themselves and by reasons of several aggravations are more heinous in the sight of God than others. And then question 84. What does every sin deserve? Every sin deserves God's wrath and curse, both in this life and that which is to come. We're not going to walk through every word of those questions and answers. We're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 3, 10 through 14, and that's our text tonight. But those three questions stand in the background uh, for us as as we begin tonight. There are several doctrines in Christian theology and what the Bible teaches which seem to be always, always coming under attack, often under siege. Um, and this, this is no surprise to us because our whole system of doctrine is about the glory of God. If, if, there, if we, we want to say, what, 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 what's it all about? All the theology, all that the Bible teaches, what's it all about? The glory of God. Westminster, question one. Chief end? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. The rest of the catechism is, is, is saying, now here's how God has, has done that. Here's how He's glorified, glorified Himself. Uh, the, the great, you know, the five solas of the Reformation. One of them, soli deo gloria. All the glory to God. The Reformers were so concerned to see God get all the glory and to see every doctrine of their whole system of doctrine give God the glory. Um, and this is, this is the scope of the Bible, isn't it? Westminster Confession of Faith says, what's the scope of the whole Scriptures? To give all glory to God. And we can look at Romans 11.36. From Him, through Him, and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever and ever. So, that's what the Bible's about. That's what our doctrine's about. Uh, That's what Christianity is about. So it's no wonder, is it? It's no surprise that there are doctrines that the Bible teaches us which go against everything in our hearts. Because if it's all about giving glory to God, what's our sinful heart want? Our heart does not want to give all the glory to God. Our heart wants glory to me. Um, 
not 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 glory to my maker, not glory to the redeemer. Um, so many doctrines cause offense because the design of it is to give glory to God, and that's not what a sinner wants. Uh, one of the doctrines, though, which is maybe one of the hardest of all to accept, is our sin and the extent of our sinfulness and the depth of our sinfulness. Um, it's hard to accept it as, as a universal truth that man is sinful, that man is desperately wicked and sinful. Um, it, sometimes you hear people today say that, that we're broken. Well, that makes it sound a little bit like we're a, a nice vase that fell on the floor and cracked and it wasn't, wasn't our fault. Someone dropped us and we broke. Uh, but, but yes, we're broken, lost and ruined by the fall, as one hymn puts it. But, but it's our fault, isn't it? Right? it? It's our own sin against God, our own rebellion against God. And we want to, uh, we want, we want to think better about ourselves than that. That, uh, that may, maybe, maybe humanity doesn't get an A-plus all the time, but a gentleman's C, at least. right? Not a failing grade. Um, but the hard truth of God's word is none is righteous. No, not one. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. That's Romans 3, 10 through 12. That's, that's pretty unequivocal, isn't it? Um, and, it's, and it's just takedown of human goodness. Or as we read earlier, Genesis eight twenty one. God himself says, the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. It's hard to accept that, loved ones, as true of humanity, but it's even harder, isn't it, when it comes home to your own heart and to say, yeah, that, that's, true of, that's true of me too. Not just this general principle, yeah, people out there are bad, lousy, terrible people, but oh, me too. I'm a terrible, sinful person. I mean, we don't enjoy confessing sin. We, we don't naturally just gladly humble ourselves and confess our sin. Right? It's something that has to be taught. It's something that has to be learned only by the grace of God. Right? The words, I, I, I sinned against you. Here's what I did. He, I, my heart's a sinner's heart. I'm not just one who makes a mistake sometimes, but I'm someone whose heart spews out sin like a fountain spews out water. Right? It's, it's hard for us to come to terms with this truth and, and own up to the full depth of our own depravity. But loved ones, it is the truth. And it's God's clear teaching in His Word. And it's also a truth that's so good for us, that, that, that's so essential for us to grasp and understand. Because if you never know that you're a great sinner, you'll never know that Christ is a great Savior. And that's what Galatians 3, 10 through 14 is teaching us. It lays out clearly we are sinners. It lays out clearly that every sin deserves the wrath and curse of God. And it teaches us that our best attempts to save ourselves only condemn us more. But it also teaches us that we have a substitute. Someone who paid for all that sin. So that we can know God's blessing instead of His curse. So that's what we're going to consider tonight. Uh, three headings here as we walk through these verses in Galatians 3. Um, Number one, under God's curse. Verse 10, under God's curse. Um, just to give the context here, as we get into Galatians 3, we're jumping in at verse 10. So the first nine verses there, Paul's point is that 
to turn away from living by faith alone and to add works of the law to our faith is to abandon the gospel, to abandon the power of the Holy Spirit, and to abandon uh, living like true children of Abraham. And in, in, this, in this chapter, Paul is sharply distinguishing between two types of people, those who are of faith on the one hand, and on the other hand, those who are of the law. What's it mean to be of faith? Well, it means that your life is lived out by faith, that the dominating principle in your life is to live not with your trust in yourself, but with your trust in the Lord and who he is and what he's done. It's to be recognizing that God is gracious and that's your only hope. And it's to have your sin covered by the righteousness of Christ. So that's what it is to be of, of faith. And Paul's been talking about that for some time. And then we get to verse 10, where we picked up our text, uh, our, our text tonight. Let me actually bring it up uh, right here. Verse 10, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. What does it mean to be of the works of the law? It means that you live your life under this legalistic principle that you're operating on the basis of good works. Paul says, if you are living your life on the basis of the good things you do to please God and earn His favor, you're under a curse. That's a surprising thing to say, isn't it? Normally, we don't think of those who are trying to live to please God and earn His favor. We, we look at that kind of a life, we say, that's a decent life. But God says, no, if you're, if you're living to earn my blessing and earn salvation by your own works, you're under a curse. Um, why? why? Why are those who depend on their own obedience to God's law under a curse? Well, verse 10 says, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. In other words... It's not that God's law itself curses you. It's that breaking God's law curses you. So if if you're going to depend on God's law to get God's blessing, then you need to be ready to keep the whole law. There's an implied premise in verse 10 in Paul's reasoning, and that is that no one can keep God's law, that everyone has failed, that no one is righteous. We read those words earlier in Romans 3, which, where Paul really drives this point home. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. He goes, he goes on and on there. there. There's no fear of God before their eyes. This is, this is the comprehensive verdict of God's Word on all humanity. From the youngest baby to the oldest person from the richest to the poorest, from the most religious to the most blasphemous, all are sinners before God and not righteous. There's no one, except, of course, our Lord Jesus Christ, excluded from this category of sinner. Um, Paul puts it even more forcefully in, in Romans chapter 8, verses 7 through 8, not, saying that we're, not, not only saying that we're sinners, but, but saying that we are helpless sinners, that we're stuck in it and we can't get out of it. Uh, Romans 8, 7 through 8. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. 
those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So, Scripture tells us it's not just like we're, we're, we're on this neutral territory, that our hearts are just in between good and evil, and too often we choose evil, but that our hearts themselves are stuck in sin and can't get out of it. That we are, to our core, God-haters and rebels against Him. We get this picture fleshed out even more. Ephesians 2, 1-3. You are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We have as much potential for good as a corpse, Ephesians 2 says. We have much, as much spiritual potential as a dead thing. Um, loved ones, the Bible teaches us that even after the fall, we're still in God's image. But that image is so broken and, and twisted and changed. Every part of our being has been twisted and, and, and broken by it. Uh, it's only the common grace of God that keeps us from being as bad as we possibly could be. And so, so that, that's the implied premise here in verse 10. That's who you are. You're going to keep God's law. You're, you're going to really try to earn His blessing through your obedience to His law. To, to keep His law would require that at every point you follow His standard. At every point you do it with the right motive of wanting His glory. And at every, every point you're driven by, by love for Him. But we cannot do even a momentary act of obedience that meets all those things, can we? We are desperately sick. And so it's no wonder that Paul says in verse 10, if you depend on works, you're under God's curse. He quotes from Deuteronomy 27 to make his point here. Deuteronomy 27 is where Moses reads out to the people of Israel the curses that will fall on them from God if they fail to keep His law. Um, The curse that would come on Israel for their faithlessness is a picture of the curse of judgment and wrath that God will pour out on all those who sin against Him. We cannot keep God's law. Therefore, we are under a curse if we try to live by our own obedience. That's verse 10. So we come to our second heading here, faith or works. Verses 11 through 12. Heading here is faith or works. So if all this is true, if we are such rotten to the core sinners, then how can we be made righteous before God? Well, it's obvious, not through the law. The law has the opposite effect. The law declares us guilty before God. Right? Think of a criminal in a law court who, who, who all the evidence is against him, and he keeps going back to the law to try to get justified and acquitted. Or that would just be utterly foolish. But, but so it is when we, when we try to make ourselves right with God by, by works. The more we try to make ourselves right with God by our works, the bigger obstacle we pile up against being made right with God because all our works are just piling on more sin and failure to obey. And so Paul says the only way that you can be counted righteous is through faith quotes from Habakkuk 2.4, which says the just or the righteous shall live by faith. That those that God counts righteous are those who don't rely on themselves, 
but look to the Lord alone. Verse 12 then doubles down on the distinction. It says, uh, Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. So the law says it's all up to you. It all depends on you. Here's the, here's the point Paul, Paul's making. He's saying you can't, you can't have both. You, you can't live by faith and also be of the works of the law. That, that, that it's, it's, it, these are two contradictory things, oil and water. They don't, they don't mix. They don't go together. Um, Machen. I've um, been reading a lot of Machen lately. Uh, he has a good commentary on Galatians. He says this, Paul means to say here, describe the nature of the law. It requires doing something. But faith is the opposite of doing. So when Scripture says that a man is justified by faith, that, that means saying he's not justified by anything that he does. There are two conceivable ways of salvation. One is to keep the whole law perfectly, to do the things which the law requires. No mere man since the fall has accomplished that. The other way is to receive something. To receive something that is freely given by God's grace. That way is followed when a man has faith. But you cannot possibly mingle the two. It's either or here, not both and. Those are penetrating and insightful words on this, brothers and sisters. I think in the Christian life, we often try to mingle the two. I think we would say, well, we don't live by works of the law. We live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. But how often do we start to shift our thinking into, into this idea that, that I, can, I can still somehow improve my standing with God by the more good works that I do, by the more uh, righteous and religious things that, that I do, that, 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 that the works that we do can somehow, I don't know, put some buttresses on this fragile justification of ours. Um, but loved ones, um, our sanctification has nothing to do with our justification. Right? It's the work of God. It is the act of God to justify us, to count us righteous in His own Son. And the, we, we cannot add anything to that but by our works. So, um, you want to be right with God? Don't do anything. Don't do anything to get right with God. That, that's, what, that's what Paul's saying. Don't do a thing. Just receive Christ. That's what, that's what faith is. We'll look at this more next week, Lord willing. Faith in Christ is receiving and resting in Him. Don't add your works to that. Yes, of course, faith without works is dead. Um, but, 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 but faith alone, in Christ alone, secures our salvation, not the works that we do. So loved ones, don't do Rather, believe and trust in what Christ has done. What has he done? That's where Paul turns now. Our final point. A blood-bought blessing. Verses 13 through 14. Verse 13 here gives us the, uh, the, the precious doctrine of substitutionary atonement with just wonderful, wonderful clarity. It says this, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. We've established, we've seen working through Paul's, uh, Paul's words here, 
all men are sinners. The wages of sin is death. The soul who sins will die, as Ezekiel puts it. God cannot leave sin unpunished. He will have his justice satisfied. But loved ones, at the same time, our God loves us, and he has elected us. He's chosen us in Christ. He's determined to save us. How does God justify us? Verse 13 tells us that he sends his son to redeem us. He sends his son to redeem us. That's a wonderful Bible word, isn't it? Redeem. Uh, what, what does it mean? It, mean, it means to, to buy back from slavery. This is the word that was used if you were going to buy freedom for, for a slave in the ancient world. You, you'd redeem them. You'd pay the price to, 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 buy, to buy them and, and give them that freedom. This is the word that was used for God's work in Exodus when he brings the people of Israel out, out of Egypt. It's interesting, though, to think, well, who's God paying the, the, the redemption price to? Well, they're in, in Exodus. Is he paying Pharaoh to free his people? Absolutely not. No, he, he's, he's bringing judgment on Pharaoh for his wickedness. But God is paying the price that his own justice requires. Right? He gives the people the Passover lamb. He gives them the sacrifices. He, he says, I'm going I'm to pay the price that you should pay. I'm going to pay the price to satisfy the demands of my own justice so that you will be freed. And that's what he's done for us in Christ. He comes and he buys us with the very blood of Christ, paying the price that his own justice demands. He makes Christ a curse for us. It's startling language. The scripture speaks so often of the one who is blessed by God. Psalm 1, blessed is the man. And then it goes on to give us this stunning portrait of this ideal, God-fearing man. That's Christ, the blessed man. And we see this language elsewhere in the Psalms. Uh, Psalm 42, speaking of the, the Messiah to come, you are the most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips, therefore God has blessed you forever. Psalm 72, in the same vein, may his name endure forever, his fame continue as long as the sun. May all nations call him blessed. But Scripture elevates Christ to the highest position and said He is worthy of blessing and honor and glory and power. Worthy of all blessing, all praise. But what does He receive? The fullest possible curse of God. Oh, He deserves the fullest blessing of God, but He receives for us the fullest possible curse of God. He's hung on a tree. In Deuteronomy 21-23, it says that cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In that context, uh, it wouldn't be that they hung someone until they died on, the, on a tree in, in the ancient world, but they would kill them. And then to show that this person has no place in God's covenant, that, 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 they're, that they're, they are uh, accursed by God, they would, they would display the body on a tree. Say that this person has no rest, no peace, uh, no, no, no burial. Um, Christ and his crucifixion is put up on the tree and he's displayed for us as the object of the wrath and curse of God. Everyone who would see him would say, there's a God-forsaken man cursed by God himself, right? And that's what, uh, that's what Christ went through on the cross. He tasted all the curse of God, the full force of God's hatred for sin and God's justice. And that's where we belong, isn't it? We started out tonight by saying what what, what sinner, sinful people we are. That's where we belong there. 
wrath and curse of God on us, but God, out of His great love for us, says, we're going to switch places. My infinitely worthy and blessed Son will take your infinitely cursed position and you'll take His. It's the great exchange of the Gospel. And and we we go on here in verse 14. We we read a little bit about this blessing we receive in Christ. Uh, Christ becomes the, the, the one who blesses us so richly. We get the blessing of Abraham, verse 14 says, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. What's the blessing of Abraham? The context of of Galatians 3, those first nine verses, flesh this out for us. But it's forgiveness. It's being counted righteous. It's it's the blessing of, you know how Abraham got, got, he believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. That's the blessing of Abraham, and that's the blessing we receive, even the Gentiles receive. In, in Christ Jesus, we receive the full forgiveness of sins. And then connected with that, the second part of the blessing here, so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The Spirit's the guarantee of our resurrection and of our full inheritance in heaven. And this is the gift that we get. All the good that God has to give. How do you get these? Notice again. Paul keeps coming back to this, right? The Holy Spirit guiding his pen, giving him the words. Verse 14, how do we get these blessings instead of the curse in Christ Jesus? Through faith, not works. Through faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. So loved ones, the doctrine of our sinfulness should drive us to the end of ourselves. And teach us to look away, to to, to absolutely look away from any good in us and fix our eyes so firmly on our Savior. You You are a great sinner. Don't deny it. Don't downplay it. Be driven by it to Christ. Let it bind your heart more closely to His. To Him be the glory. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our God, thank You for our Savior. We pray that we would not take our eyes off Him that you would lead us and guide us in learning more and more what it is to trust and follow after him. We pray all these things in his precious name. Amen.